Good morning, my name's Abby Pecklow. Please join me in the scripture of John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. I think most of us are familiar with the phrase, power corrupts and absolute power Corrupts absolutely. That was a statement of Lord Acton, a 19th century British philosopher and politician and writer. And kind of the core of what Lord Acton is getting at is this idea that power in some sense, authority, is if not bad, it's dangerous. And the more you have of it, the more dangerous it becomes and the more dangerous you become. And I think probably most of us can relate to that phrase because we probably all had some experience of leaders who abuse their power. Before I came to seminary, I worked at an office products company. It was run by a guy who had literally started it out of the back of his uncle's poultry shop. And he would call on companies and make face-to-face -face visits and he worked hard and uh, slowly built this office products company up until it became a multinational corporation employing hundreds of people. And when I worked there in the mid-90s, the owner was still on the scene and still very involved in running the business. Uh, at times, I think, perhaps a little too involved. Uh, we were trying to come up with a plan for kind of getting to know our customers a little better so that we could make sure we were offering the products that were relevant to what they needed. And our owner had this great idea. 
he said, that's what we'll call the problem. We'll call it getting to know you. And we'll base it off of that song from the 1950s musical, The King and I. And then he got really excited about it. You know what? I'll dress up like Yul Brenner. And, and I can be in a commercial and, and I'll talk with a, an Asian accent. And, and the more he starts talking about this idea, the more excited he gets about it. And it became, my, I realized, part of my job, tell the customer service supervisor that she was going to be dressing up in an 1860s hoop skirt and singing and dancing with the owner of the company. Have you ever been in one of those meetings where everyone is just sort of staring straight ahead and you're all thinking, this is a train wreck and when is somebody going to say something? Because this guy had built the company himself, and because he really did know a lot about office products and how to run things, what that ended up meaning is that he kind of started to feel like he was always the smartest guy in the room. And if it was his idea, it must be a good idea. And because he was, you know, kind of a ham and he liked being up in front of people, he couldn't imagine that asking an office professional with a master's degree to dress up in a hoop skirt and sing and dance in a commercial would be anything but a wonderful experience. You'd be, anyone would be glad to do that, right? He was a smart, hardworking entrepreneur but he had a hard time trusting anyone else's decisions. And as he became more and more kind of enmeshed with the business and sort of identified what he wanted with what was good for the company and what was good for the employees, that sort of became what everything was about and what his leadership was about. Now, most of us have had a mix of good and bad experiences with leadership, maybe our own leadership and maybe under the leadership of others. And even if you haven't seen it or experienced it personally, you probably know the stories you've heard or read about, the leaders who, who get full of themselves. They, they get in a position and they, they sort of forget where they've come from and, and they end up kind of abusing the people underneath them. They lose touch with reality. You take advantage of people. Does it have to be that way? We're starting a new series that we're going to be going through for the next several weeks where we want to look back at our foundations, look back at God's word, God's purposes for the church, for our mission and vision as they help guide us in new ways of going forward together. Because this is a, this is a new chapter in the life of Faith Church. We're, we're trying something we kind of haven't done before. But we are building off of who we have been and what we believe in and, and what we're about. And we have a new leadership structure where Joey and I are kind of sharing the, the preaching and the vision and the leadership. And, and it, you know, it feels a little bit like a, a Netflix series. Tune in next week and find out how it works out, right? It's not exactly a TV cliffhanger, though. I mean, yeah, there are unknowns. There's definitely, there'll be bumps in the road. I mean, that always happens. But that's why we want to look forward by looking back to Jesus' example, to Jesus' model, to Jesus' teaching on what healthy, humble leadership looks like. And, and that is not just about church leadership. Because all of us, all of us are leaders 
in one way or another. It doesn't matter whether you're 9 or whether you are 90. It doesn't matter whether you have a title or an official role or a position somewhere. You have power. You have the ability to influence people around you. You have the choice every day to set the tone in in the world where you live and to make an impact on other people's lives. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. When God gives dominion over the earth to Adam and Eve, that, that carries on to us. He's saying exercise authority. You're going to make a difference with how you lead and how you relate to people. That's a good thing. But as Lord Acton said, it's a powerful thing, and it's potentially a dangerous thing, too. And some of us have had loving parents and good bosses and godly mentors and nurturing teachers. And, and if that's you, you know, maybe leadership is not a difficult topic. But, but many of us have experienced leadership that has gone badly and, and looks a lot like the brokenness of the world around us. And Jesus models for us and calls us to a different kind of leadership. And that's what we want to look at today, some qualities of humble, healthy leadership. Let's jump into John 13, if you still have your Bibles open, beginning in John 13, verse 1. John tells us it's before the feast of the Passover, and Jesus knows that the hour has come for him to leave the world and go back to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loves them now, to the end or to the uttermost. In the Greek, it it's sort of gives the impression of uh, with a definite purpose in mind. And Satan has already come into the heart of Judas to betray him. And, and Jesus, knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his outer garment And took a towel and wrapped it around his waist, fills a basin with water, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, just the context again. This is obviously, it's near the end of Jesus' life. And Jesus has come from God to connect mankind back to God. To to repair the breach, as as Joey said in his prayer. To reconcile us to God and, and to bring about a rescue and a redemption and a restoration of us and and the world around us. And he knows that his followers are going to need a context to make sense of what's about to happen in terms of his death and his resurrection. And, And so he gathers them together in this Passover meal and he gives them an example. He lives out sort of a parable of what he is going to do on the cross. Now, we don't really have a, a great carryover, a great uh, reference frame for foot washing in our culture. It's something that we just don't see much. So maybe one way to think about it is like this. Think of uh, like a, a rest stop along the highway or a bathroom in a Walmart or a public restroom in maybe a bus station or a stadium. Now imagine that you were walking barefoot in those places. Yeah, gross, right? Now, those places are necessary, we need those public restrooms, but they're also kind of nasty, and nobody wants the job of cleaning them. Now, in Jesus' day, they didn't have nice paved roads, they didn't have uh, effective garbage or sewer systems, and so basically you were just walking on hard-packed earth, and all the garbage got thrown out in the street, 
and then it rained, and then it turned into, you know, nasty, slimy muck, and the animals, you know, donkeys and horses and whatever are using those roads too, and, and they need to go to the bathroom, and so that's what you're walking through all day long, and, and there are no closed-toed shoes. So you can imagine what feet got to be like. So at a meal, people would come in and they need to have their feet washed. And that nasty, necessary job was usually reserved for a slave or the lowest servant in the household. People who clean restrooms are not generally the CEO. It's not usually the boss or the manager or or the important person, because it's a low-paying, low-status job, right? Power and authority are usually associated with, you know, being up in front and making a name for yourself and, and having a platform and getting people to notice me. You know, I want to be on the cover of the magazine. I, I want to I uh, have the, the paparazzi following me around. That's how you know if you're a leader. Leaders are out front. They're, they're getting noticed. And Jesus is showing us a different model. I was at the men's retreat last fall, and there's a group of about five or six of us. We decided we were on a break, going to go out and walk around, and, and uh, we come on the trail to this section where the camp had set up uh, sort of a leadership course, some team-building things. And uh, one of them was uh, a big round wooden platform about 10 feet across, and it was sitting on a ball joint. So the whole thing would just, you know, pivot whichever way people were standing on it. And, of course, we said, oh, we got to try this out, right? So the six of us get up there, and we're trying to, you know, coordinate each other and balance each other around and give suggestions and, and you know, listen, I've got it figured out, and, and we're all offering different ideas of what to do, and we're not making much progress. And then another group of guys comes up, and Ed Benson walks up, and he says, well, it's a simple physics problem. Well, I mean, simple for him, you know, because he knows physics. But here's, here's the deal. Ed comes alongside and all uh, says, here's what we need to do. And he starts directing us, and, and we listen to him. And he tells us who needs to move where and when, and, and the thing gets solved in about a minute. Now, it worked for a couple of reasons. First of all, we were willing to listen to someone who knew what they were talking about. Now, that sounds easy, right? Of course. I mean, that, uh, yeah, sure, that's natural, except it really isn't. I mean, think about all the times we've been in situations where I don't want to listen to what you have to say. I'm pretty convinced that my idea is best. You never ever been in one of those arguments where you, you just have to get the last word in? You, you, have to get, you have to let them know what you're really thinking and what the thing to do is? Listen to me. See, that, that's kind of us, right? That, that's a challenge. And we have to be willing to acknowledge someone else's gifts, right? I mean, this is a group of educated, intelligent, successful, professional guys for the most part. I mean, right? There's a lot of potential for egos to be clashing there. Ever have a hard time seeing someone else get to be in charge? Someone else get recognized? Someone else get applauded? Humble leaders care about getting the job done, not about getting noticed. That's part of what's going on here. And, and for most of us in that group, our job ended up being just stand still and don't screw things up. Right? Just, just listen to what I'm telling you, right? And that can be hard sometimes too. I mean, 
the other gospel writers tell us not long before this, the disciples have been in these arguments about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Who gets to sit at Jesus' right hand? Who gets the throne? And who has to bow down and submit? And Jesus says, wait, wait, time out, guys. I, you know that's the way it works out in the world. The, the rulers of the Gentiles exercise authority over them, but it's not the way it's going to be in my kingdom. Whoever's going to be the greatest in the kingdom is going to be your servant. Now, there are lots of applicants for managerial positions. You don't generally have a hard time, you know, filling, filling job openings to be the boss and to get to call the shots and to be up front, right, and to get noticed. Not many people are lining up to pick strawberries or clean dishes or change diapers for minimum wage. Because we're all about our glory and being noticed. But Jesus is telling us that humble leaders are really focused on another's glory. Humble leaders are really focused not on their own glory, but on someone else's. Look at what John says here about Jesus. He knew, he knew that he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. Jesus' identity is grounded in who God is and in making much of him. Remember, Jesus says, I have come not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. His agenda, his whole life is about what will glorify God. What will point people to make much of the Father? Here's the amazing thing you see in, in this scene. Jesus actually deserves the glory. But he's the one who gets up and takes off his cloak and wraps a towel around his waist and washes the dirty, stinking, smelly feet of these undeserving people. Because he's showing us that humble leadership is not about me being noticed, getting my agenda across, getting applauded, or getting to have the last word. It's not about my glory. Where do we find the security, the confidence to set aside our, our desire to be noticed that way for the sake of someone else? Look back at John 13. In verse 6, Peter comes, uh, Jesus comes to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you, you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will understand. And, and Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Don't you love Peter's, you know, just always jumping out there with these great statements. And Jesus says this, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. You are not connected to me, Peter. Peter is rightly offended that Jesus would wash his feet because it shouldn't be that way. Jesus is the one who should be having his feet washed. Of course, none of the disciples volunteered to do that, but, you know, that's kind of beside the point. Foot washing, you see, is, is for the person of the lowest status. But it's not just humbling for the person doing the foot washing. It's also humbling for the person getting their feet washed. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that uh, of maybe having your feet washed or, or having to be bathed or cared for by someone like that. A lot of people, I think understandably, are turned off by feet. My wife Amelia is one of them. She hates this passage 
to her feet are just, I mean, they are. They're kind of ugly. They're, they're you know, wrinkly and calloused and, you know, they don't smell good. And, you know, feet are not generally a part of our body that we really want to show off, you know, and, and point people towards. I mean, for the most part, we put socks and shoes on them to hide them. Because it's, it's parts, you know, we're not really excited about and we're not proud of. And so having our dirty, smelly, unpleasant, you know, not real beautiful looking feet on display for God and everyone to see, that's kind of scary. It makes us feel vulnerable, right? And it's a reminder that we are not hiding anything from God. It doesn't matter how we dress it up. It doesn't matter how we try and cover it up. God already knows. He knows what the reality is. And he, he knows the worst about us. Now, in school, you know, our teachers tell us, you're bright, you're competent, believe in yourself, you can do wonderful, amazing, world-changing things. And, and we start applying to colleges, and, you know, we want to talk about the great GPA that we have and all the extracurricular activities that we've been in and why we would be such a, an, an asset to the student body. And then we graduate, and we start applying for jobs, and we start talking about our accomplishments and our qualifications and our education and why we would, you know, why we're competent and, and why you'd be fortunate to have me work there. And, you know, we go out in the world and, and we join in all kinds of memberships and associations and, and we fill out applications and, and, and all of it, all of it is training us to tell people about the gospel of me, why I am awesome and why you ought to be impressed with me and, and why I'm qualified and uh, you know, sort of like the, the, there's a skit in Saturday Night Live in the 80s. It's a little recurring character, Stuart Smalley, who was this motivational speaker. And he would stand in front of the mirror and say, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, and darn it, people like me. That's the world that we live in, right? And then we come to church. And, and instead, we ask you to tell us why you're not all that great. Hey, you want to be a member here? Come tell us why you're a broken mess that only Jesus can fix. Maybe that's why not many people are interested in joining churches. I, I don't know. We, we come here and we have to be honest about how I am broken and messed up and I am not that great. And I desperately need a Savior who knows that and who loves me and who can save me in the middle of all of it. I think the second thing that's going on here is this. Jesus is telling us that humble leaders are about another person's gospel. It's not about the gospel of me. See, gospel is about good news. It's a, it's a story of significance that, that we want to share with other people, right? And the good news is not about me. The good news, the really good news is that Jesus has come to wash away my sin by his blood, to forgive me, to adopt me into his family, and to change me and to make me a new person, you see. Jesus says, Peter, I have to do something for you. And if you aren't willing to accept it, you have no part in me. Did you notice in this passage that Judas is still here when this is happening. I find this fascinating. Jesus knows, John tells us, that Judas is going to betray him. 
And he's still sitting at the table when Jesus gets up and washes Judas' feet. Now, for one thing, it's pointing out the patience and the kindness and the grace of Jesus. But I think it's also pointing out that there is no ritual, there is no ordinance, there is no sacrament, there is no rite that can be performed for us that will cleanse us spiritually if it goes no farther than just, you know, washing water, washing dirt off of our body. Judas was washed by Jesus. His feet were washed by Jesus, but he had no part in Jesus, and he was not cleansed. A little later in John 15, Jesus does tell his disciples, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And at that point, Judas has left to go betray him. What is it that makes us clean? The gospel of what God does for us in Christ that comes to us through the word that we receive by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. The gospel that we need is about what Jesus does for us. The cleansing that we need comes through Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross, which is foreshadowed in in this foot washing here. Peter then says, okay, okay, Jesus, then then don't just wash my feet, but, but my head and my hands and all of it. And Jesus says, the one who has been washed does not need to be washed again except for his feet. He is clean. Now, I think Jesus is kind of getting at this picture, okay? You, you take a bath in order to get ready to, to go to the party, right? And then you still have to walk down those dirty, dusty, nasty roads to get there. And you get to the house where the party is and, and your feet are dirty. You don't turn around and go back home and take a bath again. You just need to have your feet washed, right? And, and Jesus is saying this, look, Peter, my death for you, my blood poured out for you is what? cleanses you. That is what you need. And if I have done that for you, that's it. You are cleansed. It's done. But you know what? You're still going to go out in this world and you're going to get dirty. You're going to get messed up. You're going to make bad choices. We're going to be followers of Jesus who fail. That doesn't mean we're not followers. It just means we're followers who have messed up. It doesn't mean we need to be saved again. It means we come back to Jesus to tell him the truth and to confess it and to receive again his forgiveness. That's the gospel that we need. And and that's what gives us security. You know, the world tells us you're going to be secure if if you, you know, believe in yourself and build yourself up. And Jesus says you're going to be secure by letting yourself be insecure in God's presence by being humble, by being vulnerable, by being honest, and by admitting you need to be cleansed. We bring to the Father our failures, our sins, our weakness, our fears, our brokenness, and and God washes it all in the blood of Christ and anchors it to his grace in Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us security, you see. He says, I've poured out my love for you, my grace, my forgiveness in Christ, and that's what you need. That's enough. Rest in that. That's the good news about you. See, my identity is not in what I have or what I do. It's not my success, not my failures. It's not where I go to school. It's not how much money I make. 
It's not the title that I have, the clothes that I wear. My identity is not the mistakes that I've made. It's what Jesus has done. That's the gospel that we need. That's the good news. And man, I'm thankful that Pastor Tom has modeled us for that, that he's been intentional to share the pulpit and to share leadership and and to encourage others to use their gifts. And in this transition process, he's, he's been very intentional to step back from the spotlight over the last six months, I mean, he's just said, I'm not making any major ministry decisions without, without Jeff and Joey. I, I don't need to drive things. You guys are going to be in charge. You, you take it over. And, and Tom has been willing over these next months, intentional, to say, I, I don't want the spotlight to be on me. I don't even want to be up front leading prayers or, or doing announcements because I, I'm not the, the lead pastor anymore. It's, it's not that, you know, he's trying to hide It's not that he's saying, oh, I'm not worthy and don't think about me. He's just, he wants to support us in ministry by making sure it's it's not about him. And and now that means it's our turn. You know, that that Jeff and Joey have to make sure that it's not about us, that, that we would cheer each other's success, that we would want to see each other do well, that we would build each other up. We want to make sure that, you know, we're not building, you know, a fan base or, or, uh, you know, supporters for one or the other of us. You don't need leaders who point to themselves. You need leaders. We need leaders who point to Jesus and to the good news of his gospel. That shapes our identity. It gives us significance. It gives us security. And then, and then out of that place, now, now we are set free to serve the way that Jesus has served us. And by his death and his resurrection, Jesus creates a new kind of community that's defined by self-giving love. Look at what Jesus says. He's washed their feet. He puts on his outer garments. He resumes his place. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And that's right, because that's what I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet... Now, see, if if this was the way the world operates, we would expect Jesus to say, yeah, now come wash my feet, right? Because I scratched your back, you scratch mine. And Jesus actually deserves it, but that's not what he says. If I have washed your feet, now I want you to go wash each other's feet. Go wash the feet of other undeserving people. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not above his master. Humble leaders are focused on others' good, ultimately. It's not about my glory, it's not about the gospel of me, and it's not about seeking my good. Humble leaders are focused on advancing the life and the blessing and the flourishing and the wholeness of other people. Jesus says, I've set this pattern for you. I've not just given you an example to say, oh, I'm thankful Jesus did that. He's saying, I've given you a pattern to repeat. This is the rails that your life is now meant to run on as my follower. That's what real leaders do. They, They take their gifts and their privilege and their power and they use it to serve others for their good. And Jesus tells us that because he is teacher and Lord. I mean, he, 
that goes to the cross. That's not the end of the story, right? I mean, he, he, he's raised from the dead and he's exalted to the Father's right hand and has the name that is above every name. And out of that position, you know, he doesn't say, you know what, just call me bro. I mean, we're good, right? Let's be pals. And, you know, if it seems like a good idea to you, that's fine with me. I mean, I'm cool. Whatever works for you. No, Jesus said, I am teacher and I am Lord. The world is not your teacher, so you're not, you don't get your patterns from them. And Caesar or the president or the prime minister or the principal, whoever it is, they're not your Lord. They're, they're not your master. You need to have one Lord who guides and directs and shepherds your life. And it's good that you recognize that, Jesus says, because I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to exercise leadership and authority through service and through giving, through humility. He says, truly, truly, I tell you. I mean, it's, it's a way of underscoring his authority. He's coming as the ultimate prophet of God to say, this is the truth for you. And if he's humbled himself to serve, why do we think that we would be beneath serving ourselves. I mean, whatever, whatever that menial, unpleasant task is that we don't want to do, if Jesus has lowered himself to do it, how can we say that it's beneath us? One of the ways that uh, pride often shows up, you know, is exactly that. I, I don't want to lower myself. I don't want to take a lower place. I, I mean, we're just wired that way, and the world tells us, assert your rights and demand what you've got coming for you and stand up for yourself and, and expect others to serve us. But if our Lord and teacher has washed his disciples' feet and set an example for us, how are we going to say, nah, I'm not about that? I signed up for something else. Greg Needham sent me a really helpful article uh, recently with uh, some simple tips uh, for simple keys for happiness in marriage from New York Times. It was based on some uh, really fascinating research. Now, now Greg said it was just you know to help in premarital counseling, but may, I, maybe there was a message there. I don't know. Anyway, it was good. It was good information and a good reminder, and I'm thankful for it. This. Uh, researcher quoted in the New York Times said this, there, there are kind of basically two ways to think about kindness. Kindness being one of the, the core things that the research has shown is absolutely critical for healthy, stable marriages. There's two ways to think about kindness. One, it, maybe it's just a trait. It's, it's like part of your character. Either you have it or you don't. But the other way we can think about kindness is it's a muscle. And some people are maybe more naturally adept at kindness, but all of us can strengthen that muscle and get better at it. And good relationships require sustained hard work. Kindness, humility, service, those are not gifts that some people have and others don't. You know, we, we don't get to say, ah, you know, I just, Jesus didn't give me the gift of kindness, so I'm excluded from that. No, no. I mean, Jesus is clearly saying those are muscles that we need to exercise to keep in shape and to grow to look more like our teacher and master. I mean, think about all the opportunities we have, what that can look like. I mean, we have a community of refugees and immigrants, people who've come literally into this neighborhood who don't know the language, don't know the culture, don't know the first thing about how to operate in our society. 
And we have an opportunity to greet them, to welcome them, to, to help them learn the language, to help figure their way around. Sylvia would probably love to talk to you about getting connected with our FIAC program and, and English instruction. And Kirk Ito would probably love to talk to you about a prayer walk that he's doing with some other people in, in these apartments right around this church building to, to just get to know people who are foreigners and strangers and, and we could extend the hospitality and the welcome of Jesus. We could teach kids. We could hang out with teens. We could change diapers in the nursery. You can wash dishes. You can dust furniture. You can vacuum floors. You can clean bathrooms. You could help a younger brother or sister with homework. We could babysit so a single mom could have a night out. You could call or visit a, a lonely senior, make a, a little extra food, invite a neighbor over for dinner. It's amazing that Jesus gives us gifts and opportunities and potential to do that. Our son, uh, Daniel, for those of you who know, is a pretty outgoing guy. And, uh, and he's really good with kids. And, and honestly, he's a ton of fun to hang out with. And that's made him a really good babysitter and a camp counselor and a kid's swim instructor. And uh, one of our neighbors is a single mom. And she's got two young kids with, you know, they're kind of on the spectrum for learning disability and social challenges, and that makes it pretty hard to get babysitters, which means she almost never gets to go out. And, and recently, Daniel said, yeah, I could babysit for her. And for her initial reaction was like, wow, you would do that? I can't even remember the last time I've been out by myself. And so Daniel went over and babysat for him and came back and said, oh, they were great. Everything, everything went fine. And this mom was just so thankful and impressed that Daniel would come and use his gifts to serve and bless her in that way. Now, first of all, there are not a lot of 18-year-old guys that are interested in babysitting, right? And particularly not babysitting kids with, you know, some challenges. That is not a glamorous job. It's not work that's going to get you noticed. It's not going to get you on the front page. It's not going to, you know, you're not going to get applauded for that. Daniel's using his gifts of leadership and hospitality and then the way that God has wired him to serve and bless people in our neighborhood. And all of us have opportunities to do that. Jesus says that when we do that, here's the amazing thing. We are the ones who get blessed. Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, Jesus says. We're the ones that get blessed when we serve and give for the glory of God, for, to point people to the goodness of Jesus. That's what, that's what he's created us for. That's what our hearts resonate with. Because humble leaders are focused on others' good. You know, the owner of that uh, office products company did finally give up uh, on that idea of getting to know you, you know, dressing up like the king of Siam and, and singing and dancing around. Not because, you know, he listened to what some intelligent people around him were saying. Not because uh, he thought, you know, this probably is not a good way to care for the people in my company because it's going to make them look silly. No, it, it was really just ultimately because he finally realized some other company was already using that music in their own commercial and, you know, he didn't want to be a copycat. 
I mean, ultimately, you know, he had all the power in the company. And, and he did a lot of good. But a lot of the time, too, that power was about his glory and his good and his advancement and his notice and, and what would make him happy. John says Jesus is doing this knowing that the Father has given all things into his hand. The Father has given him all authority. What would you do with unlimited power? How much money would you have? Like a, like a Scrooge McDuck vault full of like bills and coins. You, know, you just go, go in and do the breaststroke and all your money. How big would the house be if you had unlimited power? Think about the people that you could surround yourself with. The impressive people who would tell you how awesome you are. And what about those people who annoy you? The ones who hurt you? The ones who wrong you? If you had unlimited power, I mean, the only question is, you know, do I destroy them instantly or make them suffer first? What would you do with unlimited power? Come on. I mean, what are you going to do? Like live in poverty? Not make a name for yourself? I mean, like go out of your way to, to sacrifice yourself for your enemies? That's Jesus. That's who Jesus is. That's what he's done for us. And, and that's what he invites us to come into and experience and then live out as we follow him. You have been given power. You have gifts and opportunities and relationships and connections and a network. You are a leader, whether you have a title or not. Let's follow Jesus in his pattern of God-glorifying, gospel-centered, other-serving leadership. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. It's always good every time that we come together to, to encounter these reminders of your grace and, and your kindness to undeserving people. Thank you. Thank you that you do not give us what we deserve and that Jesus has come. Jesus has come to seek and save us who were lost, to rescue us, to redirect us, and, and to make our lives about something eternally significant. Oh, Jesus, help us. Help us to be people who would know you, who would, who would have a part in you through what you have done and that our lives would reflect more and more of your humble leadership. It's what we need. It's what the world needs. It's what we're made for. Help us to live in it and help us to be blessed as we follow you in it. We pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.